Hi, Mike. Hi, Julie. Hey, how's it going? How's your 2021 been? Oh, it's uh, kind of been more of the same crap. How's yours been? I got me some Civil War merch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Can we get 2020 back? This is not turning out so good. Can we have a do-over for the beginning of 2021? Sorry, that's not a feature that we bought. Well, we have luckily a good show for the beginning of 2021, hopefully, um, because of our special guest, who is Matt Davidoff. Hey, Matt. Yeah, hey, Matt, say something. (laughs) Hey, Julie. Hey, Mike. How's it going? So Matt is a storyteller who has been doing storytelling for a long time, and I met him in the Bay Area when he had his own storytelling group, which was called an as-yet-to-be-unnamed storytelling group. Then he moved to Philadelphia, which is where we are talking to him from, and he told a story at one of the Philadelphia storytelling organizations and got entered in their Grand Slam. So he's a pretty good storyteller. I think you guys are really going to like him. He's very, very uh, unusual, let me just say. (laughs) Uh, I don't actually have a story today because I'm going through a bout of malaise and I can't think of anything interesting in my life to talk about. So we're going to just have Mike and Matt today, if that's okay. That'll be okay. It's okay. Thank you for allowing me to not have a story. So without further ado, let's start with Mike. Mike, do you want to tell the first story? I, I would be honored. Thank you, Julie. A story I've <laughs> okay. never told before. So this is, a, this is a, the premiere. Awesome. I can't wait to hear it. So when I was a senior in high school, I applied to about a dozen colleges in California. And when the letters started arriving in, I was delighted to find that I'd gotten accepted by Berkeley. And about a week later... I got a letter from Stanford and said they wanted to put me on their waiting list. They said if that was okay with me, I would just have to return their included postcard to save my spot in line. And I thought about it and I realized that I didn't think I'd go to Stanford anyway because it was too expensive and I'd probably get rejected anyway in a month or so. So I really didn't want to get rejected. I didn't want the hassle. I didn't want any of this. So I just threw away the card. I took that postcard and I chucked it away and I said, Stanford, you can't reject me. I reject you. Well, about a month later, I got another letter from Stanford, and it said, Hey, Mike, we noticed you didn't send your postcard in to reserve your place in line. Well, we assume you just forgot and you wanted to be in our line. And we have to tell you that I'm sorry you didn't make the cut. We have to reject you. Which was infuriating. I had already rejected them. They can't reject me. I was so annoyed. And I got to say, the feelings of inadequacy you get when you're rejected weren't helped by then the four years of ass-kicking that I got at UC Berkeley. The people were really smart. The classes were really difficult. It was all that my little brain could handle. So senior year of college, I'm in the waning months of an undistinguished college career that needed some sort of scholastic exclamation mark on it. And my girlfriend comes over one day and she says, guess what? Family Feud is holding auditions this week for college week. We have to audition. For those of you who don't know Family Feud, it's a TV game show kind of like Jeopardy, but not as amusing, or kind of like The Price is Right, but not as scholarly. Their stick is that they ask a bunch of questions to, you know, 100 average Americans. Questions like, name a, a word with, with a vowel in it. And then one of the contestants might guess, uh, hmm, and then maybe that would be the top answer. The game is terrible. It is anti-smart. But it was going to be college week. And so I figured that the natural opponent for Berkeley would probably be Stanford. And this was my chance to get back at them. Family Feud is a game that I actually know really well. Being sort of a not a sporty kid or popular kid, I spent most afternoons of my youth 
just at home watching TV and game shows were a staple. So I knew Family Feud inside and out. So I began to prepare for this. I prepared like my little uh, persona for the auditions. I was going to be just like the the real Mike, but, you know, enthusiastic and friendly instead. (laughs) And I prepared like some banter and I practiced like the trademark, good answer, good answer that all the contestants say to each other. (laughs) I was really ready for this. and I was going to show off my knowledge of the game. So my girlfriend and I went to the auditions and I crushed it. I fake enthused and good answered my way through the test game. And then when they had their Q&A session with the producers, I busted out my bit of trivia. I said, hey, I remember for many years at the end of the show, it always said a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production. But the last few years, it's just said a Mark Goodson production. Whatever happened to Bill Todman? And they just sort of looked around and looked sad for a couple seconds. And they said, he He died. And so I, I removed the, the fake enthusiastic smile from my face and I, I tried to, to look sad and I hoped that that one thing wouldn't screw up, you know, my excellent audition. And it didn't. Like a week later, I heard from Family Feud that I was accepted. And so that was fantastic. So they gathered together all of the Berkeley family that they had assembled and they brought us to the airport. And so I met the rest of the family and there were two frat brothers, one law student and one very entertaining kleptomaniac. The... Um, I was the only one with dark hair there, so I guess I was the diversity component in the team. <laughs> the, the frat boys were really bro-y, so the kleptomaniac was absolutely my favorite. He showed me on the flight that he had managed to steal the white courtesy telephone from the airport, like literally like stole it off of the wall and stuck it into his carry-on bag. I can't even imagine how empty his hotel room was at the end of the trip. But we flew down. And the next day, we were ready to play. We were going to film all the episodes for the week in one day. Every team was going to film um, two episodes. And then whichever team had the better record at the end of their two games was going to film the final episode in the finals. I was ready. UC Berkeley was ready. The first game was going to be UC Berkeley versus Stanford. Game on. So Berkeley jumps out to an early lead, and we win the first two questions, which were name something a girl hopes for on a first date, and name a woman whose face is recognized around the world. Uh, that was not actually an answer that was given. The answer that I gave was hopes to get walked to the door, and the world just fell in love with me at that point. But on the third question, it was my turn to go to the podium and lead off the team. And the question was, name a place that is filled with young people. And I buzz in with school. And turns out that is the number one answer. It is college week. Crushed it. Good answer. And Thank you very much. And so we won that. In fact, we won the first three questions. And so at this point, we had 266 points to their zero. We just need 300. We just need one more question. So if we just won one out of the next two, we would win the whole thing. Meanwhile, the, the producers rushed over like at every taping break and said, guys, 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 we need more enthusiasm after you guys just look dead <laughs> over there. We need to be more enthusiastic, more excitement. And so I think I executed that week my very first woo that I had ever said before. And I probably did like more high fives that day than I'd done in my previous 22 years of life. And I did my best. Apparently, I'm just not very good at being fake enthusiastic, but I did my best. So next question, Stanford wins. And it comes down to the last question, triple points. Whoever wins it goes home with all the money from that game. And the question was, name something you brush off your clothes. And Berkeley leads off with lint and pet hair. Dandruff. And pet hair. And I noticed that when the host repeated pet hair back, he sort of emphasized the word pet. So when it got to me, I'm like, oh, that must mean there's another type of hair there. And so when it got to me, I said, human hair. 
in sort of that odd tone of voice I just said it in, actually. <laughs> and uh, and all the frat boys like looked at me like you can see the expression on their face that they're just so annoyed at my stupid answer. But it turns out to be the best answer on the board. But no one else on the team had picked it, and we didn't win the question, and we lost the question, and we lost the game to Stanford after being up 266 to zero. We lost to Stanford. Wait, but you got the question. I got right. I got I got my my part right, uh-huh. but. The, we didn't, as a team, win the whole question. But you know what? There's still one more game to play, and if we do well, we still might be able to go to the playoffs. And our next opponent, USC, the University of Spoiled Children. <laughs> they were a very good-looking team, but there's no chance that those rich kids were going to be able to actually answer like the average American. They had, that, that is not their demographic. So we jump off to a quick lead on the first question, name something people lie about on their resume. And the next question was, name something operated by remote control. Orgasms? Orgasm, <laughs> no. But when one USCer offered up the answer remote, con- remote control vehicle, they made him be more specific. What type of vehicle? And I stored that away. So it was my turn to offer up an answer. I said, well, a remote control plane. And again, the frat boys look at me like I am an idiot. And they get to sort of pick which answer they want to go with. And they ignore mine because it's stupid. And thus, when my answer ends up being the best answer on the board and the camera pans to me, you can see the, the annoyed look on my face and you can see the chagrin in theirs. Next question. I'm back at the podium for some one-on-one action against USC here. And the question is, name something that someone can get kicked out of. And for the second podium visit in a row, I answer school. Man, school is the best possible answer to give at College Week. I'm crushing it with it. <laughs> but my rest of the team does poorly. We are not winning questions. We need to win the very next one. And it is named something people do after graduation. USC leads off with get a job and party and take a trip. And then everyone in Berkeley has to offer an answer. And I offer up buy a car because that's something I had to do. And the frat boys, after watching my brilliance question after question, realize that maybe I'm not the smartest person, but maybe I do speak for the average American. Maybe this is my value. Maybe this is the time that I get to show the world what I can do. Last question, bottom of the ninth. Bases loaded, two outs. And so the frat boys pick my answer. And we go with buy a car. Not on the board. Berkeley loses. We lose both games. We are the only team in the tournament to not win a single game. We come in last place. (gasps) Meanwhile, Stanford wins the whole tournament, wins the finals. I hate Stanford. So what did I get out of this? Aside from cementing my feelings of inadequacy and a lifelong hatred of one of America's top universities... (laughs) I'll tell you what I did not get. I did not get rice I did not get turtle wax. I did not get the home version of the game. All of the classic consolation prizes that I assumed always came, none of them. I got cans of spray starch, uh, hairspray, off-brand Lifesaver candy, not even the real ones, like off-brand, and a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken-themed cooler that I used as a trash can for years to come. <laughs> it was just the worst. And to this day, that is why I hate Stanford. Yay! Wow. <clears throat> well done, Mike. No, really poorly done every bit of it. But but I did see your uh, your video clip on YouTube of your of your performance at that Family Feud show, and the answer, the correct answer, was for what do people do after college? I was very offended. It was answer. get married. Get married was the final answer. Yes, it was really? probably yeah. the one answer, but it was the. Isn't that the, crazy? Get married. 
course, this what is year in was this? The nineties. This was nineteen ninety, but you know, not nineteen fifty. Right, not nineteen seventy. Yeah. Wow. Get married. I hate that show. I, it's a ter- it's a terrible show. <laughs> My takeaway would be that show sucks. It's <laughs> every time I watch it, it's that enthusiasm you're talking about that drives me insane. It's Good so fake. stupid. They clap at everything. <laughs> they jump at everything. Yeah. But I I have to say, Mike, you have your ability to muster fake enthusiasm has carried you through life, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good. I, it's a good skill to have. I think. I think it's always been obvious that I that I'm not actually enthusiastic, but <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, my TV career didn't take off, but my podcasting career is just. So yes. Yes. I'm gonna go with that. That's exciting. Did it make you nervous? One of my like biggest fears in life is that in a situation like that where you have to respond immediately, that I'm gonna say like the absolute wrong thing. I like motherfucker piece of shit or something like that. <laughs> I was totally by accident. Did that make you nervous at all, or is that just a me thing? No, I think that's everybody. Um, and I'm probably more nervous about that now these days than I was then. But I was still nervous then. Um, but my brain was, you know, younger and faster back then, so I'm more likely to come up with that answer. School, just at the drop of a hat. Well, that's awesome. Should we move on to the next story in the yes. in the in the spirit of fake enthusiasm? <laughs> Yes, good answer. I'm not storyteller. <laughs> that would be amazing. Woo! There you go. Your second woo ever. Our next storyteller, guys. Settle down. Settle down. Is Matt Davidoff. Matt is going to tell us a story that, what, have you told this story ever before? Is it a repeat story? I told it live. Um, a few, I, I, it was the last story I told in public before public didn't exist anymore. So, so like almost a year ago. So it's like a vetted story. It's, it's definitely got some meat on its bones if, if it's been told live in front of human beings. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, well, without further chit chat, take it away, Matt. So my story, just like Mike's involved, it starts in high school. Okay. But just unlike Mike's is completely different. So. When I was, let's see, the summer of my 15th year of life, I had three passions. They were, in no particular order, watching Oz on TV. So Oz um, was a TV show about prison. It was on HBO. It was pre-Sopranos. And I think uh, we are very blessed today with a ton of like really good, high-quality TV. This is like the first, perhaps, high-quality cinematic-level TV show ever. It was called Oz. It was about a prison, and it would kind of follow um, various prisoners and show like what life was like in this prison. My second passion was smoking marijuana. Okay, I had been perfecting that for, I would say, two years at this point, and I was pretty damn good at it. And my third passion, three years in probably, was jerking off. <laughs> and that summer of my 15th year on Earth, I found a way to combine all three of these, and this is the first time this had ever happened. So... I got my first job. I was working at Jack in the Box. I was the cashier at Jack in the Box. I was making $5.75 an hour. And that, like, let's say 15 hours a week was more money than I had ever seen in my entire life. And I would get these paychecks for, like, $96 and shit myself. Like, what am I going to die? What am I going to buy with $96? So I started buying my own pot, um, which meant I could... Wait till my parents went to bed. I could sit in my bedroom and blow pot smoke out the window 
And then because I wasn't smoking pot with my best friends who had bought it or whatever, I could jerk it immediately. <laughs> and so if you've ever combined these two things, they're really exciting and fun. And it's like a whole new world had opened up for me. It was my little summer of love. And um, so I would smoke pot, jerk off, and then um, I would watch TV. And so it was every Sunday night, there would be a new episode of Oz on. Sunday was my day off of work at Jack in the Box, so it all worked out. Um, so anyway, so the show that I had gotten to know very well, um, I was now watching it in a post-jerk um, mental clarity. And in addition to that, there was this pot clarity that happens when you like watch a TV show for the first time high. And for the first time, I had kind of been able to put myself into the shoes of these prisoners. And for me, um, I never really grew up expecting to end up in prison or jail for any reason. And so, like, the idea of prison and jail, similar to, like, the idea of North Korea, was just something that I can see on TV, but I'll never really end up there. And in my post-jerk, post-pot clarity, I was able to see prison as, like, a place that, like, kind of normal people end up once in a while. So... The summer of my 16th year on Earth, uh, something else monumental happened in my life, which is that I went on my first real date. Uh, this is the first time I was 16 years old. This is the first time I like called a girl on the phone and said, hey, I really like you. I want to go on a date with you. Her name was Melanie Mendoza. She was my first date. And Melanie Mendoza and I went on a date. We This is in San Diego. We went on a date to Fashion Valley, which is a mall in downtown San Diego, and I was really, really trying hard to impress Melanie Mendoza. And I'm pretty good with conversation and banter and making people laugh for about an hour. And then I just run out of shit to say. And I was worried that she would start to see I'm actually kind of a boring, insecure person. So date goes well. We drive down to the mall. Date goes well. We're at the mall. Date goes well. Driving back, we get stuck in a ton of traffic. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, I'm going to run out of stuff to talk about while I'm stuck in traffic with Melanie Mendoza. So out of nowhere, I was like, well, what do I do with my friends when we're stuck in traffic and we don't know what to talk about? I reach into the center console. I pull out my pipe. I smoke a bowl. And all of a sudden now there's something funny going on. We have something to talk about, whatever. So without thinking that this might be a weird behavior, I reach in the center console. I light up my bowl. I take a hit and then I pass it to her. And Melanie's looking at me like, who the fuck are you, gangster-ass Tony Soprano? Like, what kind of dude just lights a bowl in his car in traffic? And it hadn't occurred to me until that moment that it's kind of a weird thing to just sit in a car and smoke weed and not care about getting caught and let alone not care about driving while you're high. And she said, you're really a badass, aren't you? <laughs> and for the first time in my life, I said, like, I like that. Like, I'm going to go with that. I'm a badass. So... 15 years old, I learned about prison. 16 years old, I learned that I'm a badass. 17 years old, my summer of my 17th year, I end up getting um, into, I guess, altercations with the police three times in the span of probably six weeks. And it wasn't that I was like upping the ante on badness. It wasn't that I was doing anything insanely terrible. It's just that I was always stupid and my stupidness finally like kind of <laughs> culminated several times in a short period of time so the first altercation with the police um we went to this like water tower in our in our hometown and it was supposed to be a great place to smoke weed my friends and i the loser guys spent a ton of time looking for new places to smoke weed this was our place <laughs> later we figured out that we parked in front of a fire hydrant when we went to this water tower that was not a good idea 
Um, and we went to the one opening of the, so the water tower had like a fence around it and there was one opening. So we went through the one opening, leaving car by fire hydrant. We went to like the far side of this uh, water tower and we got high. And it just turned out that we, my friends and I would take turns, I think, like who would bring the pot that day. It just turned out that I was the guy who brought the weed and the pipe that day. So a police officer comes into the water tower and kind of chases us clockwise around the water tower to which we said, oh, cool, we'll just go clockwise. We'll go out the fence. We thought we were total geniuses. It turned out they were that much smarter than us and they sent a police officer counterclockwise as well. So we run, we get caught in the middle, very exciting chase. <laughs> um, they search all of us and I was the only one with any paraphernalia on me. So they said, hey, you know what? All you guys can go except for Davidoff. He's staying with us. Um, I actually got let off because I had to go to my job at Jack in the Box. The cop said, we would have arrested you. We're going to write your name down. We're going to call your parents. We're going to send it to a judge. But you get to go home, actually. So <laughs> about a week later, we broke into my high school to skateboard, which, you know, if you're going to break into a place that you skateboard, maybe don't break into the place that you go to five days a week. So it turns out the high school had cameras. The high school had a camera of me jumping over a fence with a skateboard. We likely vandalized that day and perhaps uh, put a coat hanger into the, the, what's it called, the vending machine and stole candy. So I get interacted with the police number two. Okay, this is like a week or two after my uh, great pot escapade. The third time we got arrested, no, no, the third time we got into, the, into an altercation with the police that did lead to an arrest my friends and I, again, were getting high at a park, and across the street from this park was a like a gas station with a liquor store in it. Now, ironically, the gas station was very, very well known because when you walked in, there was one of those TVs with like the siren things next to it that said, hey, you're on TV right now. <laughs> anyway, we're sitting in this park, and five of our other friends run up, like all sweaty, and each of them is holding a 12-pack of beer. And they say, dude... We have this great, great, great idea. We just ran into the liquor store. We just took the 12 packs and ran out. And the rest of us, the guys that were just in the park already, were like, that's a great fucking idea. How come we never <laughs> thought of that? Like, they're not going to shoot you. What a phenomenal idea. And then you don't even have to drive. You just crossed the street and came to the park across the street. They said, exactly. <laughs> so they shared the beer, very friendly. We shared our pot, very friendly. And sure enough, the police come. And the police <laughs> said... We have a report that, you know, you guys stole a 12-pack. And I was forced to say, well, I didn't really steal it. They stole it. And I just sat here and then drank it. And the cops were like, how would, on earth would that make this any better? You're still 16 drinking beer in a park that was stolen, right? So anyway, so we actually get arrested. We stay at the police station for like two or three hours. Finally, we go home. Now, the way it works, and I didn't know this, is that every single one of these was getting submitted to a judge. Okay, it's a bureaucracy, so it takes like six or eight weeks to turn around. And the judges deal with people apparently alphabetically. So by the time my case gets to this judge's docket, she has a stack of three files on this one kid who she's never seen before. So before I even arrive at this judge's office, which was not a courthouse, we'll get into that. But the, before I even arrive at her office, I was thinking, these are all slap on the wrist kind of things. Like skateboarding, so what, you know, whatever, drinking beer underage, so what. The judge already thought she kind of had a story on me. So we get to this woman's office. My mom took me. I still remember the judge did not wear a gown at all. I remember her looking like Judge Judy, but this is 20 years ago, so who knows. 
but I remember her not being in a gown, which was disappointing. I remember no handcuffs or police involved, which was disappointing. And I remember that it wasn't even a courtroom. It was just this woman's office. And I remember saying at this young age in my head, I bet she's disappointed because she's not like a judge judge. Like she doesn't have like a gavel. There's no courtroom. Um, But so Judge Judy threw the book at me and she said, you know what? I see a pattern with you. This is like three times you got in big trouble. I bet your grades are slipping, right? I said, no, they're they're really not. Like I'm, I'm actually trying to go to a UC. I went to UC Santa Cruz. It's like the third worst I think you see in the in the state but still um I was like no no, no I'm gonna go to college I I'm awesome she said no I really think you're on the bat you know a wrong track I'm gonna send you to the corrective behavior institute so corrective behavior institute was a school type system for juvenile delinquents like myself um and we it was like a 12-week program And at the end of this program, my record would be wiped clean if I were to graduate the program successfully. So I assumed once I met all of the other delinquents that I would make a ton of friends. Because as Melanie Mendoza had told me, I'm a badass. And I knew I was a badass. And these guys were from all over San Diego, which is huge. So I was thinking, like, I'm going to make badass friends from all over San Diego. I'm going to have such a great time. Nobody wanted to be my friend. Everybody started pairing off. Everybody would, like sneak away during our breaks and smoke cigarettes together. They would never, ever invite me. I was like the outcast. I was a weirdo. And I remember thinking, like, maybe I wouldn't fit in in jail. Like, initially, I thought I would hate it, but then I thought I was a badass. But now I'm thinking I, I won't even make friends if I go to jail. So little by little, everybody starts getting giving nicknames to each other. And the nicknames were really cool. One guy was, like, very fat, and he used to um, rap a lot, like, during our breaks. And they started to call Notorious Biggie. I was like, that's a cool fucking name. And then another guy would always come up to us at snack time and go like, yo, let me get some of your snacks. Let me get some of your snacks. And they started to call him Old Dirty Bastard, who's famous for being on food stamps, right? And so I thought, what's my nickname going to be? I'll get a good nickname. Now, when you're Caucasian in an environment with mostly non-Caucasians, and it's the late 90s, and they're all giving me hip-hop, if each other hip-hop names, there's only one good nickname for the white guy. And this fucking ecstasy dealer who was very tall and very pale and had bleached blonde hair was named Eminem. And at that moment, I knew, like, I'm not going to get a nickname or I'm going to get a really shitty nickname. So every day would be a different theme at the Creative Behavior Institute. We would talk about smoking cigarettes one day and why that's bad and then doing drugs one day and blah, blah, blah. And so we finally get to drunk driving day. And on drunk driving day, our, the facilitator had been telling us, we're going to watch a video. And we're going to watch a video on drunk driving day. It's a video about drunk driving. It's really, really traumatic. So I hope you come prepared, blah, blah, blah. So when drunk driving day rolls around, I'm so proud of myself. I bring my dollar for the vending machine and I buy a bag of buttered popcorn. And I'm going to be the guy who like shows up to this really, really traumatic video with popcorn. And everybody's going to go, yo, David off. Let me get some popcorn, bro. And that's how I'm going to make friends. So I open up my buttery bag of popcorn And I offer it to the guy next to me. And he says, yo, I don't want your popcorn butter dick. (laughs) And another guy says, fuck you, he's butter balls. And another guy says, why don't you just call him butter fingers? And soon they all decide that butter dick is the most funny name. I have to agree, (laughs) but at the time I didn't like it. So I'm butter dick. Nobody likes me. I'm in Scared Straight. And the culmination of our program was actually Scared Straight. So they they brought in a current convict... And I remember this because he was handcuffed until he got into the classroom with us. And then they actually uncuffed him. 
um, but he was a current convict. He lived in prison and he had no agenda. A lot of the people that had spoken to us previously kind of had like a speech written out or some kind of pedagogical approach. This guy's job was just to scare the fucking shit out of us. So I still remember this to this day. This guy's arms were bigger than any part of my body, including my waist and legs <laughs> and head, if you could put those all together. And I still remember he had a Scooby-Doo tattoo on his bicep. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that tattoo is not funny. That's how scary this fucking guy is. <laughs> because anywhere on earth, if you see a Scooby-Doo tattoo on a scary dude, that's funny. And it was not, it was not funny. So, uh, Scooby-Doo tattoo starts to tell us what life is like in prison. And he tells us a little bit about food, a little bit about exercise time. And then he says, and you know what? Out of left field, he says, and you know what? Some of you would suck a dick in jail. <laughs> and everybody's playing tough. They still have tough face on. I'm not playing tough at all. And he makes dead eye contact with me and he says, you would suck a dick in jail. I would tell you to suck my dick and you would suck my dick in jail. If you didn't suck my dick, I would kill you. And I remember thinking he wouldn't even have to threaten murder at all. He could say, please suck my dick right now, and I would have done it. Not because I enjoy sucking dick, because I'm so fucking terrified of Scooby-Doo Tattoo. <laughs> and then he says, and you know what? One of you would be my bitch in jail. Which one of you would be my bitch? And he starts scanning the room to find his bitch in jail. And in unison, they must have planned this in advance. In unison, everybody but fucking me, even Eminem, says, Butter dick would suck your dick. And he looks at everybody the way that you would look at them if they just said butter dick out of nowhere. And they all point at me and he looks at me and he goes, butter dick? <laughs> and I said, I, I, I brought popcorn and they made fun of me. And he went, yeah, you would definitely be my bitch, butter dick. And though I had not jerked that day and though I had not smoked pot that day, I had a moment of clarity. <laughs> and I look around at Scooby-Doo Tattoo and I look around at every gentleman in the room except for me. And I realized that I would not do well in jail. And I'm actually not a badass at all. I'm just a kid who skateboarded, drank stolen beer, and had like a fucking bowl's worth of pot on me and thought I was a badass. Okay? And Melanie Mendoza had moved on by then. Let's add that in. <laughs> so I'm not sure if Judge Judy and her whole concocted plan, I'm not sure if that's what scared me straight. I think I was always destined to like go to UC Santa Cruz and, and whatever. Um, but I am not currently on drugs and I don't currently get arrested and I haven't done anything bad in a long time. And a lot of the friends that I actually grew up with ended up actually becoming real badasses, selling drugs, using guns, going to jail, things like that. And I do think on some level, I don't think the Corrective Behavior Institute really caused me to change my attitudes about my behavior I do think it started to show me that regardless of who I thought I was and how I thought I was, if I had been in the wrong place at the wrong time, I could have ended up in jail and I definitely would have been Scooby-Doo's bitch. Mm -hmm. So that's it. I'm a good guy now. <laughs> Yay, Matt. Woo. Woo, butter dick. I mean, David off. Thank you. <laughs> See, that's how it happens, Julie. Yeah, don't do that. Butter dick for life. <laughs> Although I was, wow. I was thinking that the other... White rapper you could have been would have been Vanilla Ice. I was waiting for that part to come out where you're Vanilla Ice, but apparently that's too old of a reference, I think, maybe. I mean, I might rather be Butter Dick than Vanilla Ice. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're too Semitic to, to look like Vanilla Ice. Or Eminem, to yeah, be honest. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's not you. Do you have any pictures of yourself from that time? 
You know what's shitty? Actually, I've I've once in a while I come across pictures of that time. I'm never smiling because I like wanted to be such a little badass. So they're all shitty pictures. <laughs> it's me. Do you remember that age where like your mom would say, "I'm gonna take out the camera," and you would like intentionally make a stupid face? <laughs> like that's every picture of me from those days. Well, well, give us one. We'll post it on the on the page for the for the. Ooh, very exciting the podcast <laughs> showing you okay. in your badass form. Yeah. Matt is a badass. All right, Matt well. Matt is a badass. Mm-hmm. I'll post a link to a Family Feud video. Oh, cool, yeah. I definitely want to see that Family Feud video. It's all bits and pieces. I chopped them up. I only have the parts that I'm in. I edited out everyone else, so. This is a pretty funny video, actually, though. Yeah, <laughs> especially if you're a fan of Family Feud. And no one is. <laughs> well, I'm really glad you didn't go down the drain to a life of crime, Matt. No. Thank you. Now, so now what do you do again? I'm a teacher. You teach... E- I'm like the opposite of that. You te- yeah, I teach ESL. To little kids? Mm-hmm. Are they deaf little kids or hearing little kids? Hearing. Oh, you teach them ESL anyway? Not ASL. <laughs> ESL. <laughs> Is this a joke right now? <laughs> I'm sorry. You know how when you're in a field, you just assume everybody talks like you? I teach English as a second language. <laughs> So, I'm sorry, Julie, I should have told you. So, my st- <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. It's over. <laughs> Thank you very much, Matt. So, so, so fun, guys. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you for having me. enjoyed me. having you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. That was fun.